Good morning. Thank you very much for listening. It is a uh, beautiful Sunday morning in Rochester. I love being able to sit outside, got a tank top and shorts on, and I am uh, <sighs> sipping some coffee on this Sunday morning in my beautiful, quiet, little Brighton neighborhood. Uh, great podcast for you today. Peels on Wheels makes his return. Luis Perez. We'll uh, get to that in just a couple of minutes. But first, I want you to know that you voted, and now it is time to cheer on. Peter Morganti uh, versus Joe Morey in the Chef's Throwdown finale at New York Kitchen, August 24th, 6 o'clock. So that would be, I believe, if I'm doing my math correctly, that would be this Tuesday night. It is brought to you by Sip and Savor, my girl Steph Hanna, Chef Throwdown. And she's giving away that night a chance to win dinner for a year. And if she's giving away dinner for a year, you know that's going to be to some nice, beautiful, high-end restaurants. So if you need more information on the Chef Throwdown, look up Sip and Savor. That's S-I-P-A-N-D-S-A-V-O-U-R-R-O-C on pretty much any social media platform or just Google it and uh, head to her website. Love Chef's Throwdown. Had the opportunity to be involved one year. I, I do remember having a bit of a conflict of interest where one year I was asked to be a judge for Chef's Throwdown, so I went to be a judge, and a couple of the ju- of the uh, chefs who were competing that year, <clears throat> excuse me, were um, from restaurants that I endorsed in one way or another, or that I was, you know, had as a client or something. Some For some reason, there was a conflict of interest, and I told her about it, and then we went through the entire thing. And she was like, oh, no big deal. You know, I know you'll be unbiased. And I also know that the, uh, the, 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 the voting is confidential, so no one will know who you vote for. No, you know, it's all sort of anonymous anyway. The, the judges write down. So anyway, so um, we go through this event, and there's like, I think maybe at the, at this year, and again, this is way pre-pandemic, this may be six, eight chefs, something like that, two or three of whom were clients of mine or people I endorsed. And uh, I ended up liking their stuff better than the others, legitimately, legitimately. And I'm trying to remember what it was. I think one was maybe New York Kitchen. Oh God! I, to be honest with you, I don't. At this point, I don't even remember. It's all jump, jumbled mess in my head. But anyway, long story short, it came time to vote, and I legitimately, no, no, uh, not not paid voting. Legitimately, my opinion was that a couple of the ones that I endorsed were my favorites. And so I just voted for him. I said, hey, listen, I know for a fact I'm not cheating here. I'm just I'm doing my thing. This is exactly who I would vote for whether I endorse them or not. These are my favorite foods that I consumed today. So, But I always felt awkward about that because then I gave her my slip of paper. And so she knew. So she looked at that and she was probably like, Jesus Christ, this guy actually did vote for his, uh, his paid uh, endorsements. But again, I swear to you, it was clean as a whistle. That was really who I would have voted for, paid or not, I swear. Mm. All right. So a lot of stuff to get to today. Uh, Oh, I did want to mention one work-related thing. I know it gets a little nerdy when I talk about work, but uh, this was a very, very, very big week for Craft Cannery. We invested in and installed a brand new gray pack bottling line and two new brand new growing kettles. 100 gallon capacity each so 200 total gallons Um, this could not have been done without a the extremely hard work of my team everybody busts their freaking asses at craft cannery and uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the passion that everyone brings every day B my partner Tom Riggio this quite literally couldn't happen without my partner Tom Riggio this man has been the absolute godsend of my life and has made uh, my wildest dreams come true. And I literally, Tom, if you're listening to this, I literally work every day as hard as I can, pretty much for two people and two people alone. 50% of the reason I work as hard as I can is for you. And 50% of the reason I work as hard as I can is for my wife and child. And I want you to know that. Bottom of my heart. Uh, And then also I want to thank the Trapani brothers, Jake and Joe Trapani, Rochester natives who uh, now live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and actually installed the bottling line and took three days to install and train us. I mean, the patience that these guys exuded (laughs) to us as they they, uh, 
installed this bottling line is something I'll be thankful for. I actually forced one of them to film six different videos that I created a YouTube page out of so that we would have like a, a working reference of our new equipment. So just to put that in perspective, for anyone who doesn't, who doesn't know, I'll tell you about what our capacity was like before and what it's like now. So before, we had two 36-gallon kettles. So we're talking about, I'll do the math for you, 72 total gallons of capacity. That's before, okay? Now, we have two 100-gallon kettles and... We kept one of our 36-gallon kettles. So we have a line of three kettles, basically. So we're talking about 236 gallons at a time. And it used to be 72 gallons at a time is what our capacity is now. And I'll admit, you know, we're learning to run the stuff. So I don't know what our capacity is going to look like long term. But I'm very, 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 uh, very optimistic because um, just to put in perspective, we were making a... Well, I think I can tell you what we were making, actually. I always have to think about because there's confidentiality in place, but then I have some clients who love to be mentioned and other ones who, who uh, you know, really value the confidentiality. But this is actually a client who loves to be mentioned. So we were making red osier, au jus concentrate. So it's like a marinade. And it goes into a 16-ounce, what you would know as a barbecue sauce bottle, okay? It's like a decanter bottle. Uh, it's what every, pretty much every barbecue sauce you've ever seen. This is that bottle, okay? In the past, 30 cases of that particular sauce for us to put into a bottle would have taken about an hour and a half for 30 cases, okay? On Friday, through our, out of our big kettles and through our bottling line, we did 30 cases in 35 minutes. Please, Okay. Now you see why I'm in a good mood today. In fact, I'm in such a good mood today that we are actually, as a team, me and uh, all of my uh, teammates, my coworkers, are going to the Rochester Red Wings game this afternoon. 105. First pitch. We got a bunch of tickets and uh, going to go and treat everybody to lunch and probably a couple of beers. And uh, it's just who they want to see on a Sunday, right? Me. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have fun. I hope we'll have fun. It's a family event too. So everyone's been invited to bring their families, their plus ones, whoever they have. And it should be a good time. I'm really looking forward to it. By the way, I saw the Red Wings last night had that Marine Callahan in town, the New York Post writer who called Rochester grim and depressing. And the one thing that I, and I, I thought that was so great, but then around 6 p.m. last night, at least where I am, Brighton slash Pittsford area, it started just downpouring. It was just gray sky downpouring rain. And all I could think about was, oh, this is terrible timing for this. But God was on Rochester's side because by about, set by about first pitch, I would say you could see blue in the sky again and it was beautiful out. So no problems, no worries, right? No harm, no foul. So let's get into it. Uh, Luis Perez, he has Peels on Wheels. This is actually his second appearance on the podcast. So I'll give you a little bit of a, of, of a history. If you go back almost exactly one year, scroll back to last August, August 2020, I had Luis Perez on the podcast. And in that episode, we talked a lot about his history, his past, his childhood, and what turned him into Peels on Wheels what made him become uh, Rochester's newest king of pizza. So if you want to hear a lot more about his background and childhood, I would suggest maybe listening to that episode first. It almost works as a part one to this episode, which you're about to hear, which works as a part two, which really picks up where the old one left off and talks a lot more about his decision to go from doing the mobile events to having an actual brick and mortar because Peels on Wheels is now open on Culver Road and uh, it, working more like a traditional pizzeria now. But I will say what I love about Peels on Wheels, because my, my wife ordered from there Friday night, and we're going to talk about this in this podcast, okay? What I love about Peels on Wheels is it is unapologetically amazing. And it's priced that way. And again, we're going to get into this with Lewis, so I don't want this is awkward. Sometimes we talk about people's prices. People don't like talking about money. We're going to talk about money for a second here. Peels on Wheels is not where you're going to go to get cheap pizza, okay? But it's not going to taste like cheap pizza ever, either. You are going to taste his pizza and realize that this dude is bringing in the best of the best of every possible ingredient. Now, 
Every pizzeria that you walk into, hell, every restaurant you walk into for the most part is almost always going to tell you that they bring in the best of the best. Most of them are lying to you. They are not bringing in the best of the best. They're bringing in some combination of good and price conscious ingredients. Peels on Wheels, for better or worse, is just bringing in the literal best of everything. And again, we will reference it in this podcast, but he has all of his ingredients sitting out on shelves when you walk in. He basically decorates his waiting room there, or the dining it's, I guess it would be eventually the dining room, but right now it's just sort of where you, you show up and wait to get your pizza. He's got it decorated with all of his different ingredients, and I you know, I know a little something about food cost. I'm looking at those ingredients, and I'm going, my God, this dude, is it's all imported. It's all high-end imported stuff that he's using here, and I was it, it got me thinking about the generations, and something I'm proud of with, with millennials and Gen Z is that I think it is, and this especially, I think this works when it comes to food. We we will pay for quality. Millennials and Gen Z have no problem paying for the best of something, right? We don't seek out cheap, cheap, cheap. And I, I now be honest with you, I do think with Gen X. And with boomers, there is a little bit more of a tendency. And and listen, I know there's exceptions everywhere. I know that there's probably cheap millennials and Gen Zers, and I know there's probably Gen Xers and boomers who will seek out the best of the best and have no problem paying for it. But in general, I think Gen X and boomers uh, kind of don't care about quality so much. They care about price. They, they here, well, I'll put it this way: I think they care about some combination of price and quality. Right? They want they want kind of a com- combination of the two. They want the best quality they can possibly get for the highest price they're actually willing to pay, okay? Whereas millennials and Gen Zers, I think when it comes to food, are a little bit more of, hey, here's my money, take me for a ride, right? Sort of like, I trust you, Peels on Wheels, or whatever restaurant I've just walked into that I've heard all this hype about, I trust you that you are doing the best possible job and I am willing to pay for that. Here's my money. Take me on a ride, baby. Show me what I've been missing, you know? That's sort of a young person thing, and I'm proud of that for our generations. And I will say, I think that's not every category. I think that flips. Like, something like technology. I think with Gen uh, Gen Xers and Boomers are more likely to just, like, sign up for the thing that pops up on their computer that's probably a scam that says, you need to sign up for and pay for this, right? Like, this um, the antivirus. Here's antivirus software. $200 a, a year. <laughs> you know, like no millennial or Gen Z is ever going to fall for that. But the Gen Xers and the boomers, they'll click on that all day and be like, well, I got to have antivirus. <laughs> and they'll just pay for anything. Whereas like the uh, the millennials and the Gen Zers are way more likely to just spend literally an hour investigating to find anything for free. Anything. They ain't paying for anything when it comes to technology. Downloading that app, uh uh-uh, I'll find a free version. I'll find a way to do it free online, right? Pay for that TV show, uh uh-uh, I'll find a way to do it free online. That's not a good thing. I don't love that. But I will say that I think that we flip. The older generations are just hopeless, and so they're just like, yes, I'll pay for it, whatever. The younger generations are going, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, mm-mm, I know this has to be free somewhere. I'm going to keep looking. (laughs) All right, I'll shut up. I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please enjoy the return of Luis Perez, a.k.a. Peels on Wheels. He's back. He is back. I'm it's good. Back. Lewis, good to see you. Likewise, likewise. Do, do a lot of people call you Peels or do they just call you Lewis? No, they still call they think I'm Peels. They think you're Peels. Um, That's I, have to, I have to educate everyone on what a peel is, but uh, it all makes sense once you bring it to their attention. 
Well, let's say this. So this is going to be a different interview than last time because last time we did your history, your childhood, yeah. all that. So we're going to skip some of that stuff this time. Okay. If anyone's interested in hearing about the history and the childhood of Luis Perez, a.k.a. Peels on Wheels, go back, listen to that interview, and you'll hear all about how Luis grew up. But for the purposes of this interview, can you rehash us on exactly what is Peels on Wheels? Yeah, so Peels on Wheels is a mobile food truck that uh, we actually imported a vintage three-wheeled motorcycle from Italy and customized it into a little pizza truck and ran with it all uh, throughout 2020, had an excellent first season and just kind of transitioned from the food truck scene to the brick and mortar. What does it mean? So peels, Yeah. so a pizza peel is a tool used in the pizza making process. Yeah. There's a few uh, variations of it. Um, and we just wanted to come up with something clever. So everyone thinks thought, you're Peels now. Yeah, but everyone <laughs> thinks my nickname is Peels or my first name is Peel, but, uh, but it's not. It's Louis Perez. We're sitting in your, your actual brick and mortar now. Is this the, the mobile, the three-wheeler? Is this the thing? Yep, this is. This is. So we, we imported it, yeah, from Naples, Italy, and, and essentially the, the brick and mortar is the home base for it. So we have a brick and mortar location that allows us to park it right on display inside. We're on Culver Road right now. If somebody comes into here, they will see this. They'll see this little three three-wheeler. You're telling me you've driven that thing? Yeah, yeah, it actually ha is drivable. Um, it's essentially a awesome. <laughs> a two-stroke, uh, 220 cc engine, and it goes about 30, 40 miles an hour. And That's awesome. We don't drive it anymore, um, just because of the fragility of it, and yeah. trying to get parts for it's a pain in the neck. So we're yeah. trying to keep it or maintain the integrity of the vehicle. So we just. Put it on a trailer and haul it from destination to destination. The thing is badass, man. It's yeah. cool. It's a cool looking little vehicle. Yeah, and it's everyone a, loves it when they come in here, or you know, especially yeah. people who who either are from Italy or they're in the neighborhood and you know they've traveled to Italy or anything like yeah. that. They see that they like this thing brings me back to that experience. All right, Lewis, let's catch up from where we were last yeah. time. So we talked. I don't know if it was exactly a year ago, and you were you were you were blowing up with your pop up, and it was the middle of the pandemic. I mean, we're we're not the pandemic's not over, but. Yeah. It's different now, but middle of the pandemic, you're blowing up with your pop-ups. And I don't think at that time that we talked yet about a brick and mortar. I don't know if we did. I don't know if we didn't. I don't recall. But things changed. Yeah. And here we are. We're sitting inside of your pizzeria. Yeah, it's wild. It really let's, is. let's start from there. So bring me to like a year ago. So a year ago, the goal was never to get into a brick and mortar. Um, it was just to do this on the side and make pizza and, yeah. you know, have fun while doing it. You know, I had a, I had a pretty decent job and a job in which I could have, you know, easily grown up and or grown in my role and who knows, you know. Remind us, retired. what was the job again? So I worked at uh, RIT managing one of the dining halls there yeah. and I worked my entire career to get to that point where it was Monday through Friday, you know, nine to five holidays, summer's nearly off and um, yeah, I, I was in it and I, I was good at what I was doing, but it just, just didn't feel right. And I was making pizza, you know, on the side to kind of keep my mind at bay. And surely enough, you know, I bought one portable pizza oven to kind of step up my pizza game at home. And then one turned into two and two turned into four and four turned into a mobile pizzeria and then a mobile pizzeria into a brick and mortar. So, yeah, I had no intention to open up a brick and mortar um, as I went through majority of 2020 towards the end i kept getting a lot of feedback from customers like we want your pizza more often yeah. and and obviously being a food truck yeah. your seasonal business and um yeah it just kind of got my the gears going in my mind and surely enough you know i just came across a spot and this was honestly much sooner than i had anticipated so i'd say late 2020 i was like you know what let's start looking into and see what that entails you know what the loan process looks like you know trying to settle in on a location where am i going to start this and um yeah by i want to say end of 2020 it was just kind of a fluke thing i went over to a friend's house and they're like hey when are you going to open a pizzeria and I was like, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been thinking about it a lot more lately. And he's like, I just came across, across a post on Facebook. And I'm like, okay. So I check out the post and it actually ended up being a former pizzeria here um, off of Culver. And it was called Bubba and Fifi's. And I used to drive by this place countless times. That was uh, here where we're sitting right now? Yep. Bubba okay. and Fifi's was here. Um, and even prior to that, it was a, a place called Romano's, I believe. Um, but yeah, I would drive by this location I would say at least two, sometimes three times a month because of Three Heads Brewing being yeah. right around the corner. And that was one of our venues where we worked 
at least two or three times a month. Um, and it was by far our best pop-up venue. So I would drive by this place just thinking, like, what if, you know, yeah. took over that pizzeria? And it's just funny how everything comes full circle. And this was actually the space that he found on social media. And then I happened to message the landlord that night. The next day, came to see the space. By Monday, we were negotiating a contract. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah, that's... it was wild. It was what, wild. Can I ask you, when you were at RIT, did you ever make pizza at RIT? And if you did, did you have to make their pizza? And you were like, Yeah, so <laughs> so they they had uh, a small pizza program there where they made, like, these personal pizzas. And, like, even on campus, you know, they, they have a lot of, like, rules and regulations to abide by when it comes to, yeah. like, dietary restrictions and things like that on campus. So your hands were tied to, like, how creative you could be. So, like, they, not a lot of the dining facilities were making their own dough from scratch. You know, they were purchasing a pre-made or they provided a company a recipe and that recipe was prepared for them in a commercial setting. Um, but, no, I didn't really make much pizza there. Uh, everyone always called me the pizza boy because they knew that I was obsessed with pizza um, and anything. It was kind of neat, though, because, you know, some of the other facilities on campus were like, oh, we, we know you love pizza and this is what we're trying to do. So, you know, they would ask me questions and things like that. So it was kind of neat to be a part of that. But so you really, had the reputation even back then. Yeah. Here. I mean, yeah. even that was kind of because, I mean, I was at RIT for only about a year prior to starting. Not even a year. It was like six months prior to starting with us. So, uh, or starting with the mobile business. So it kind of just, like I said, it, it's been around, I mean, even prior to the mobile business, I was an avid at home pizza maker and I worked in multiple facets in the industry. And it's funny to reflect back on it, but like every job that I've held that has had pizza in it in some way, shape or form. You and you, you bring it with you. You've got yeah. the pizza aura. Like it's just, it's around you, you yeah. know, yeah. the, um, the idea of coming here to Culver Road, when uh, when you get here to Culver Road and, and you have to put together, so what is this business going to look like now? Because previously, you're doing pop-ups and you're taking pre-orders and, yeah. and you brought some of that model here. But yeah. by the way, what was your first ever gig? First spot. Uh, my first spot for pop-ups? For Peels on Wheels. Where's the first yeah. place Peels on Wheels uh, ever Embark appeared? Embark Craft Cider Works in Williamson. How did that go? That went, I mean, I had high hopes, but I think my first event, I only sold like 30 pizzas or something like okay, that, but so it was enough to get my feet wet and figure it out and, and convince you that feedback. like, Oh, there's something here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it just progressively got busier and busier. It seemed like week to week, month to month. And, and was there enough. a big break at any point or, or were you just consistently good and it slowly broke? Or was there a moment where you went from it's going fine to like, Oh my God, this yeah, is crazy. So, so, I think my big moment was when I did this event called Homegrown at Love and Cup. Yeah. And that one was with, uh, I mean, pretty much how Homegrown is. It's a ticketed event. It's a tenant event. And there's a bunch of different local uh, brewers or breweries that, you know, do tastings. And it's like slotted times. And not only that, but like local businesses, like some food businesses, um, and, and pretty much they reached out to me like, we have a couple slots available. We'd love to have you for, you know, a total of four hours. And in that time frame, you could serve anywhere up to a thousand people. So, I mean, this tent was, again, this was pre pandemic. Um, this tent was jam packed. Yeah. So many people were able to try my pizza. We had the longest line for the entire four hours cause people were boozing, yeah. having a good time. And then from there, you know, let's go to the pizza guy to get pizza. So, I mean, we were seeing people over and over, but, uh, yeah, the feedback was excellent. And then kind of from there, just put me on the radar against like the brewery scene. Um, and then it was nearly like every single weekend we were at three different breweries. It seemed like, and plus, and you, and three heads was kind of like your, your pop-up home for a while. Yeah, right? like, so, so the funny thing is with the three heads, they had a tent set up or booth set up directly next to us. So we became really familiar with one another. Right. Um, and then, you know, started to talk about, Hey, let's get some pop-ups going, you know, this upcoming season. So it was literally like January, 2020, when I did homegrown, and then from you snuck there, that in just in time too. Yeah, right before, yeah, yeah, and then we didn't do our first event at Three Heads until May of 2020, okay. but it was like in a limited fashion. Yeah, because Three Heads is kind of like everyone, you know, Three Heads is for beer in this town. You've got obviously Genesee, that's a yeah. different level, right? But then you got the old school beer lovers love Roar Box. That's yeah. like the leader for the old school. But the new school stuff, yeah. our generation, yep. I, th I think I'm a little older than you, but <laughs> like our generation, uh, it's three heads, right? Yeah. They kind of, they're the trailblazers. So yeah. 
they embrace peels on wheels. Other breweries are going to be like, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. This yeah. Kid, this kid makes some good-ass pizza. Exactly. Right? So, and, yeah. like, they're all friends with different brewers and yeah. other businesses in the area. So, like, that just opened up so much opportunity for me. Yeah. Um, and, and in doing that, it just helped us build a brand and build a following. And then, like I said, it, the pop-up thing, I mean, it was a lot of fun. We're going to miss it. But yeah. we're probably not going to be doing much of those public pop-ups anymore and just focusing on utilizing the truck for private events you know grad parties corporate events weddings you know things like that good money Um, in that kind of stuff yeah absolutely absolutely but i mean there's a lot of work that goes into a mobile event you know just to serve for three or four hours you're talking still a 12-hour day at a minimum well i remember Um, you because you you were doing like you could I think your very first events, you could just walk up to you and order a pizza, right? Yeah. But then later it became like you had to pre-order. Yeah. And and you were selling out like yeah. like days ahead of it time. It was actually it was actually the other way. We we just oh. encouraged pre-orders only so that mm-hmm. we at least had an idea of like how much we we're gonna make that day. Yeah. We bring like a small percentage over that um, for walk-up customers and like three heads. That venue, I mean, it was like I started with 90, then it was the next week it was 100, and then after that it was 110, then after that it was 120, and then <laughs> surely enough, like I said, it's just it turned into one of those things where we didn't even have to do pre-orders at Three Heads, where we were just we're like first come, first serve, walk-ups, you know, welcome, no pre-orders. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of that was just kind of figuring it out. Um, and even like now with the pandemic, you know, you still have to – change and adapt with you know right. what you're you're going to be taking orders in on and things like that so so you, you guys you opened the pizzeria here and it was what i started asking you a few minutes ago but you you know business model wise i believe if i'm not correct me if i'm wrong you are right now you are you're still doing pre-order right that's yeah, your style online still? orders so basically how it works is every sunday the link goes live for that upcoming week so mm-hmm. this sunday or this upcoming sunday we would do um at five o'clock, link would go live for the upcoming service week from Wednesday through Saturday. Um, right now, we're only operating for dinners, and and honestly, the the nice thing about the the ordering online in advance, it gives us a clear picture of what we're going to produce for the week. Um, for us, we just want to produce quality pizza, um, and we don't want to sell two or three or four hundred pizzas in a day we'd rather sell you know 150 excellent pizzas in a day where people that. are going to say you know what i know that i can get an excellent pizza week to week from there i love um, that man and and you know and that's just one of those things that i learned you know when it comes to pizza making it it really is a craft and it is something that it you need attention to detail um, throughout the entire process, from the time that it's stretched to the time that it's topped to the time that it's baked to the time that it's pulled out, cut, and garnished. I mean, it's a whole process. I, I wish you know people would hear what, what you just said for how genius it is. Mm-hmm. Because what you're talking about there, where you are, and you saw my eyes were traveling around, yeah. it's because you have all your ingredients like on your shelves here inside the pizzeria. Because I want to talk about some of these. And because now it's because, listen, you're open to the public and these are on your shelf. So we can talk about it now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But anyway, but um, what, what you just said is so genius because you could pump out 300 pizzas. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're not you don't want to pump out. Three, you want to pump out 150 perfect pizzas, not 300. And, you know, what's funny to say is I say 150 and there's probably five or ten at the end of the night that are like incredible. And there's probably like you know, two or three, I'm like, those are perfect. So yeah. like, it, it might be just the perfectionist in me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where, Do you ever tell the people getting the perfect ones? Do you ever say, excuse me, listen, listen, my name's <laughs> it's Lewis. It's so funny. I, I literally have done that <laughs> a handful of times. So, like I get excited when they get to like, even last night, uh, and it wasn't me who made the pizza. It was by far the best pizza the entire night. And it was the last one. And there's always this joke that we say, you're only as good as your last pizza. And, um, <laughs> what was it? Tell it me was what just it was. a plain cheese pizza. Simple okay. as that. Well, what made it so much more perfect? than the cheese pizza that came before it and before so it the the way the cheese melted didn't yeah. split nice right. coloring on the cheese so you know usually like if cheese is overcooked it splits and it gets become causes a very oily pizza um so that was great the coloring and the spotting on the crust everything was perfect in that sense the sauce was evenly dispersed throughout it was garnished <laughs> perfectly so all in all i mean Hundreds across the board at every level. And uh, did the, you tell the customer? The the cut? No, we did not no. tell the customer. Okay. We did, did not tell the customer. Um, the customer came in, grabbed their pizza, they went on their way. Turns out the 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 wife who came in to order the pizza, the husband's from the Bronx. Nice. So the guy called back not even five minutes after his wife leaving, and he's like, "That pizza 
brought me back to New York, this and that. And then we had explained like that. We're happy to hear that. That was by far probably one of the better pizzas of the evening. So oh we're so happy God. that you got it. And he's like, you will see us again. But it's like small stuff like that because it was like a nostalgic thing for him at the end of the day. Yeah. Where it brought him back to, to home in a yeah. way. So. I, love, I love that you think that way. And, and that 150 really great pizzas and a handful of perfect ones is better yeah. than 300 of yeah. as fast as we can pump it out. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at your ingredients. You've got the Bianco Di Napoli tomatoes. Yeah. You've got... Well, whatever we can run through everything but basically you've you use really good shit yeah but you really yeah. do so that that was one thing again i and i mentioned this in the last uh, podcast but i went to pizza school and when i went to pizza school that was one of the focal points of the class was well obviously fermentation and the the science behind making dough um and then the other thing was quality of ingredients yeah. and i was just dumbfounded by what they were using for for ingredients because like i've worked in so many different pizza joints and they're adding five six seven eight different ingredients into a tomato sauce recipe and then they're cooking it down um, when I was there, they're like, get a high quality tomato, blend it. There's your sauce. You can season it with a little bit of salt, a little bit of garlic or olive oil. Mm -hmm. And that's all you really need. Um, Lewis, did we talk about, did I ever tell you last time that I lived in Italy for a year? I was an exchange student. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I did. tell you that? And, and that is the one thing I remember about pizza there versus pizza here. I do recall it seemed as though you're the pizza expert. Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> it seemed as though their pizza sauce was exactly what you just described. Yep. It was just tomatoes that were basically just crushed mm -hmm. up tomatoes and like that's it. Yeah. Maybe a little garlic, maybe a little oil, maybe a little basil. That's really the most complicated sauce yeah. you're gonna yep. say. And and it's it's as simple as that. And yeah. um, And by the way, I'm guilty. <laughs> I have a commercial pizza sauce and it's got a lot more shit in it yeah, than, and, than what we're talking about, but that's all right. <laughs> no, it's not a problem, not a problem. I mean and again, it's really just preference at the end of the day. But yeah. like for me, the best pizzas I've had like you said, just tomatoes essentially yeah. that are peeled and packed in the same day. And then you're pulling that tomato um, and crushing it by hand. And now you have a nice rustic sauce with the best tomato yeah. flavor. We've made um, things too complicated, right? Like oh, the yeah. Pizza sauce got 30,000 ingredients in it. Another thing, and, and I will occasionally make pizza at home. It's not on the freaking peels on wheels level, mm -hmm. trust me. But occasionally <laughs> I will. And I do that. And, you know, my father-in-law will compliment and say, like, oh, this is so great. And I always know the secret is I just had whole peeled plum tomatoes yep. that I just put on there as the sauce. The other thing is, like, burgers. Like, I'll yeah. do burgers on the grill a lot. And I was experimenting for so long with putting a million different seasonings yep. and breadcrumbs, basically making meatloaf, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it was just hardening and thickening. Yeah. And I eventually got to where I just buy 80-20 ground beef, and I just give it a slight press and put it right on the grill. Yep. And it's the best burgers I've oh, ever yeah. made. No, definitely. And yeah. it, that like the simplicity piece and, yeah. and like the principle behind it. But, yeah, no. So, I mean, the ingredients are a huge thing. I mean, when I was there, like I said, I went to pizza school. They focused on utilizing quality ingredients and educating you on, you know, what to look for as far as fat content and cheese and, you know, looking for an olive oil and when's the right time to utilize olive oil on pizza and you know the hard cheeses and learning how to make yeah. your own cheese too so again like the quality piece is really starts with the flours that you're using the oils that you're using the tomatoes that you're using and the cheeses that you're using and if you all of them are of top quality you're going to end up with an incredible product and you want each one to shine mm -hmm. um, and you don't want one to overpower the other so like balance is another thing you know the right amount of sauce to dough to cheese ratio and all those things go into like consideration when coming up with a pizza so yeah and that was one of the like i said there was like an aha moment that and the fermentation behind you know pizza making and making sure your dough is as digestible as possible and that all in all like i said you can have three or four pieces of pizza and feel great versus some of the competitors where you're having one or two and you feel bloated uh, yeah. and severe indigestion yeah. and things like that. And look, I got to be careful what I say, but you know, there's pizzerias in town where their whole spiel is just behind the scenes spiel, not public spiel, yeah. behind the scenes spiel is cheapest, cheapest, yeah. cheapest of everything. Yeah. And the right? thing that's crazy is like, I worked in so many of those different pizzerias growing up and like, I'm so grateful that I did because it was all stuff what not to do yeah it's a lot literally of what not to do yeah, and yeah. and even for me like and i'm not trying to bump myself up or talk myself up but like my cheapest bags of flour probably cost double what some of these pizzerias are paying for theirs you know yeah. and that's you know mine's like 30 34 a bag for my cheapest bag of flour no 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 let's talk about our generation for a yeah. second how old are you again i'm turning 30 next month 30 okay yeah. so i am a bit older than you happy birthday by the way thank you 30 thank next you. month so i'm 38 little older but we're not too too far yeah. apart i feel like our generation will go out and find 
uh, the high quality thing and be happy to pay for it, yeah. right? I do, have you run into anyone who gives you shit about your price yet? Oh, yeah, everyone. Everyone. It happens Everyone. all the time. Yeah, me Everyone. too for my sauce, by the way. Yeah. $6 jar of sauce. Yeah. But I do find that it seems to split younger, older. I, I do find yeah. it's going to, uh, my complaints are going to come a little more often mm-hmm. from older customers. Do you find that at all or no? Is it just all over the board? I, I mean, for the most part, everyone, like once you explain why, like, yeah, we're importing right. 90% of our ingredients from Italy. Yeah. You know, we're not short changing any like type of ingredient that we're carrying. Does it bother and, you or do you or are you just able to be to you just know in your heart of heart you're like, you know what? It's a better pizza than you're gonna get. Yeah. And and, from, and so and, I don't and, apologize. And it's not even that, it's just like I just have to make it as good as it possibly be if they choose to yeah to purchase from us. Um and if they don't enjoy it, they don't enjoy it. I mean yeah. I'm not gonna be able to please everyone. You know, not everyone's gonna love my pizza. There's gonna be people who support the same pizzeria that they've been supporting for X amount of years in their family, mm-hmm. and I understand that. But um, for me, it's making the best possible pizza for the customers that choose us. And like I said, I do get some flack for the pricing. And again, I'm using organic produce and, and utilizing the public market for my produce and, and Bolton Farms for my basil and, and Headwater Food Hub for a lot of those things because I want to support local sustainable farms, yep. you know. Um, so I'm willing to pay that higher price point to use what's in season, to use produce and, and meat proteins that are coming from sustainable farms. And, and some people are like, well, why would you be doing that? You know, there's <laughs> no pizzerias that are doing that. Well, if I'm the only pizzeria doing it, I'm the only pizzeria doing That's it. That's a win right there, um, bro. For me, it just means that much more because I know what I'm putting into my body. Yeah. I know where this came from, and I know the care that it went into that product that's going into my 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 final product. Now, it's um, it's 7 o'clock in the morning right now. You uh, Will you be here until, like, midnight tonight? or like I'll probably be here until 9 or 10 tonight. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just the nature of the business, and especially with any startup, you got to be there. Um, and I'm just, you know, it's, it's almost like sleep doesn't even matter anymore, and I'm, I'm good with my four or five hours of sleep and yeah. getting up the next day knowing that I'm doing something that I'm enjoying. Do you get to catch up a little on your off days? or? Uh, it's it's funny because everyone always says you know when you start your business it's 24 7 365 and unfortunately that is the case whether it's there's certain aspects about being a business owner that feels like work but then there's certain aspects about it that doesn't feel like work and can can i ask you about one i think i witnessed one already (laughs) today while i was here i i rolled by and i saw you you had your keys out and you were like opening the door to your pizzeria do you get like a nostalgic almost romantic feeling out of just that tiny little thing. Oh yeah. Just sticking it's, your it's key mine. in there and being like, I'm you gonna know, open. Like, this is my, this is what I built. I'm opening you know? for the day. <laughs> and, and, and it's like I said, the, the food production piece, the, the pizza making piece, like all that stuff doesn't feel like word to me. Yeah. It does not. Cause yeah. I love doing it. You know, I love cooking. I love being in the kitchen. I love listening to music while I'm doing that. That's like that whole thing is not work to me. Now the piece of promotion, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Meeting Being some guy computer. for a podcast at 7 yeah, o'clock in the morning. Not, not only that, but like that, all that other stuff that kind of falls in between, like th- that feels like work. And, yeah. and unfortunately, I see myself doing more of that stuff on my days off than actually the days where I'm, I'm physically in the restaurant producing food for it. Um, but again, I'm still trying to figure it out, but work-life balance is definitely important. For me, what about the business side, the analysis, the sitting down with like you know your QuickBooks or whatever you use, yeah, yep. and and analyzing you know our margins and you yeah. know what, what is good, what is not good, what do we need to improve on? Do you enjoy that kind of stuff? Or oh you yeah, like, the, like the analytics behind it. Yeah, yeah because yeah. now I'm managing a business by the numbers, like yeah. any true entrepreneur should be doing. You know, yeah. looking at their cost of goods to payroll and you know profits and all that. So for me. Um, are you yeah. tight with that stuff or are you I, like I, right now I'm just tr- I'm still trying to figure it out yeah, so like too. my food yeah. cost is probably a little higher than it wants to be my labor is definitely higher than it want than I than it should be but again the people that I've hired they're all outside of restaurants other than a few um, I want to say I think out of the 10 total employees I have here three of them have restaurant experience the other six or seven no restaurant experience they have some service experience in some way shape or form so to teach someone uh, a very detail oriented task that can be a little intimidating it's it's tough for anyone who you know may not have any sort of cooking or restaurant experience and for me i i wanted to invest a little bit more time and money into training and labor 
um, just so that I know my people are 100% confident in what they're doing, you know, and that's why I went with a simple menu to start, you know, limited hours, because the last thing I want to do is open full go with a full menu with a team who really has no restaurant experience. And I'm so grateful Smart. for my team, nonetheless, because we've taken it slow. Everyone is I can't even explain how great they're doing because I was nervous at first, you know, just like many other restaurants in the industry, you, you're seeing a struggle in, in trying to get help. And I didn't think, I foolishly thought that I, I didn't, wouldn't have that issue. And I had that same issue everyone else did. And I was foolish to think that I wouldn't. And I don't know why I thought I wouldn't. But uh, had that issue. And, and next thing you know, I, I'm, I'm hiring a bunch of people off the street. But everyone has a willingness to learn. And that's all I could ask that's for. Great. You have a good team, and, too. I mean, I was in here. I ordered pizza from you one night. And I came in here. And you had smiling faces, yeah. eager to help. You know, yep. people were... People were people were great, and we should say also that it, there's almost like an experience to mm-hmm. picking up your pizza here. It's not just a matter of like last name, here yeah. you go. Yeah. It's more like uh, you know, can we help you? And then they bring the pizza up front and they like slice it right in front of you. Yeah, and then it comes with these sauces. Is that typical? Everything comes with these. No, dipping we just okay. wanted to get those out there for okay. customers to try. So yeah, we make some house made dips. Well, can we talk about these dips that you yeah. made? Are those available at all? Or are you just kind of experimenting with those? Well, no, they are available okay. now. They're on the menu. Um, so really, it's just one of those things like being in Western or Central New York, there's this perception that pizza and wings goes together or like pizza yeah. and dips. And I believe it or not, I got asked a lot more about blue cheese and ranch than I did wings, which I was ecstatic about. <laughs> yeah. um, everyone who knows me who, who, during this entire pizza journey, I've been gung ho about not having wings. And, uh-huh. and for me, it's one thing I'm not passionate about it. You know, it's more added costs. It's another thing I have to maintain. And, you know, and yeah, the, you got to smell like fryers. Exactly, That's the other thing, too. Fryer too. It, 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 make, it creates a smell. Yes. That is, that is less desirable yes. than you could ever want. So, you don't want to walk in here and smell grease and oil exactly. and shit. And, I, and, and that <laughs> thing, it takes over, like, the entire aromas in the restaurant, even over the pizza. And I love when people are walking up, they're like, the neighborhood smells great, yeah. and that's because all we're doing is offering pizza. Yeah. But um, well, the dips though that you that you yeah. sent me home with one was ric- uh, it had to be house made ricotta, right? No, it was actually yeah. house made stracciatella. Oh, that's which what that is, was. Uh, <sighs> the cheese that you drank used to it, stuff buddy. mozzarella. Oh. Um, and turned it into burrata. Oh um, my God, Lewis! Whatever that was, that was. What did you, I already forgot what you said it was. That is Stracciatella. Stracciatella. That was, I dipped in it a couple times. I drank what was left in that little <laughs> cup. That was so good. Yeah, the Stracciatella is great. That's really good on like a pepperoni pizza with a little bit of hot honey oh, on it. Yeah. Really good together. And then the other one is a Gorgonzola cream. Um, okay. Just to kind of mimic uh, uh, blue cheese, per yeah. se. Um, utilizing gorgonzola imported from Italy, and we're making that dip in house also. That was amazing. Um, My wife is a blue cheese hound. Yeah, and uh, she loved loved that. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, it's like again that along with the house made stracciatella, and then the last thing is a Calabrian chili ranch, which. I thought no one was going to like because it had a little bit of heat. It's essentially a ranch dressing with Calabrian chilies in it. Um, and that one, I'm getting people reaching out. Do you sell this in jars? Do you have bottles? Yeah. Do you have? We don't. I mean, right now we don't. But if the market's there, we definitely are considering, you know, packaging some of those things and hey, getting them on sale for I customers. I know a guy. I know a guy yeah. if you ever need somebody. Exactly. Uh, they, they were they were great. They were fantastic. And I, I when I saw them, it was it was just good, and I like the the other thing that you guys do is um, like a garnish after the pizza comes out. So it's like, yeah. like basil, right? If you put that into the oven, it would just burn. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so the basil so, burns, loses all the oils. Then yeah. um, not only that, but uh, it just affects the quality of the bake of the pizza itself. Mm-hmm. So the nice thing, uh, the thing about pizza making is you want to use as little as possible. Less is more. Um, and, and even so, like when baking a pizza in the oven, if you go in with a ton of different ingredients, it's going to affect that bake. Um, and we try to minimize it. And if you look at any one of those pizzas on the menu, you're talking four or five total ingredients. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's including like the garnishes really. Um, so for me, yeah, there's, there's that piece where some of those things, they're not good when they're baked on the pizza. You lose all that flavor, like an extra virgin olive oil only. I mean, you're going to lose all that flavor because it's going to burn after, you know, 475. And that's something that should be 
put on the pizza at the end to maximize that olive oil's flavor. Same thing with like the Parmigiano Reggiano. Like I've seen too many places just sprinkle <laughs> it on the pizza and then yeah. toss it in the oven. You lose that flavor. Yeah. So that's why we finish it with that. And then same with like basil. It's like one of those things where you want it to shine at every level. You know, you want the sauce and the cheese and the dough to shine. And then from there, you want your basil and your garnishes to shine after the fact. Um, so all in all, it really is a process. Like I said, you've got three or four different hands on one specific pizza at the end of the day from yeah. the person who's stretching it to the person who topped it and baked it. And then the person who's garnishing and the person who cut it, you know, so it's pretty, pretty much well. I mean, it, it definitely is a team effort at the end of the day seems like you have a good team. Like I said, when I showed up, man, people were, and people were into it. That is a consistent feedback, and that, yeah. that brings me absolute joy, and that's all yeah. I could ask for as a business owner. And like I said, is, is having a team that has a willingness to learn, and they're personable. Greeting yeah. people when they come in, hey, how's it going? You know, talking with them while they're waiting. You know, all that stuff is important, you know, and that's why, you know, we're cutting these pizzas in front of customers because it's an experience for them. It does. You know? it, it, there's something about just that when they, yeah. they plop it in front of them and they go, yeah that's like i i can't went home i can't even tell you how many people i've told about that where i'm like god let me tell you though they bring the pizza they slice her yeah like, like it shouldn't be that impressive but it is for yeah, some reason no and that's part of the whole craft of making pizzas like the actual visual aspect and and, and watching yeah. the pizza makers stretch it watching the pizza makers top it and launch it into the oven and manning the ovens all that stuff is fun to watch is there a um, purpose for like when you when you do the dough and then you throw it up in the air or is that just for movies no no that's There's, a real thing so that is actually something i can't i can never remember the word and one of my employees has told me five times <laughs> but uh, it's something force and basically anytime you toss it up to the into the air and spin it that's the easiest and quickest and most even way to stretch that dough um, and it's by the force of the dough spinning in the air so that's why it's done and it's important to do but like depending on the style of dough. So like if something's too soft or too wet, you definitely don't want to try and toss it up into the air because it's a very delicate dough. Whereas like your typical New York style or something along the lines of that yeah. is, is usually a lower hydration dough. So it's a little bit stiffer of a dough where you can toss up and spin it on a hand and things like that. So, um, the I'm sure you get asked this all the time too, but the first time I ever met you, you were doing Detroit style pizza. Yeah, I know you do. You know, like a million. You know all the different styles yeah. of pizza. At this point, you're pretty much just doing New York style, right? Yeah, just to open up, just New York style, because this is our flagship, and, yeah. and quite frankly, we're still figuring it out. Unfortunately, um, yeah, that stuff's thick. It's a whole different thing, right? Yeah, it, yeah. So Detroit style. I mean, for example, I created a New York style dough, and it was like a New York Neapolitan style dough that I developed this recipe for at home. And I thought I could easily take that dough recipe and transition it into, you know, a commercial setting and using a commercial oven. I was completely wrong. That dough was made to work in an environment of a household kitchen, mm. you know, an oven that gets up to 550 degrees with a baking steel. Um, I thought I could just easily take that and, and, and take that recipe and make pizza in here. And I was wrong. I mean, the first probably two or three weeks, um, of actually having the oven, I was at a point where I was like, I'm screwed. I am screwed. So I had to go back to the drawing board and change the entire recipe around. So it went from something that I was using and feeding people for about six months, seven months, to something entirely new. That it, I mean, it was one of those things where I was, it probably took me about six total weeks before I was ready to get it to anyone wow. to taste it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, each an individual style of pizza has a different style of dough that requires different types of flours, different types of fermentation practices, different types of ingredients um, to, to be able to achieve the characteristics specific to that pizza. So I don't have one dough recipe that I can use for Detroit, uh, New York, a Neapolitan. I don't have one that's versatile amongst many and not too many restaurants that are offering multiple styles should be doing that because it's not true to each style of pizza. So mm -hmm. for example, like a Detroit style pizza, mine has a two flour blend. My New York style has a four flour blend. You know, my Roman style has a three flour blend. So like all of these different things, I'm blending different flours to achieve these characteristics specific to each style of pizza. And for me, you know, I, 
It took me six weeks to figure out how to get New York style to where I wanted it. Chances are it's gonna take me a long time to figure out how to get that Detroit style to where I want it. Because again, that oven that we're using is totally unique. I've never worked with this style oven in my entire life. I've worked with gas deck ovens. It's an electric deck oven. And you can control your ceiling temperature, your floor temperature, and your door temperature. And being able to do that, you're able to create very unique characteristics specific to your style of pizza. Dude, you're on a whole nother level, Louis. It, it's, dude, it's, it's, it's obsessive in a way. <laughs> that um, was scientist talk yeah, right there. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm totally new to this, and this is yeah. something like the pizza industry's global. I mean... You're talking Italy's probably the Mecca when it yeah. comes to pizza. And then the next best thing is New York or New York City. Um, and just when I was introduced to this whole community um, and, and very welcoming community, nonetheless, to the people who really do appreciate the craft and want to offer the best possible pizza using the best equipment um, to ensure that they are offering the best process or the best product. Um, but, yeah, for me, it was one of those things where, like, I just was mind blown by all that goes into it and like all the attention to detail and all the different, like, like you said, the science behind it. Yeah, dude. Becoming a mad scientist in a way when it comes you sound, to You sound like a mad scientist, <laughs> but in a good way though. I mean, this is like, yeah. this is the type of shit that attracts people to you and go, I got to get that guy's pizza. Exactly. Dude- and that, that was a big thing for me is like educating my staff on it, you know, educating them, you know, our dough takes essentially three days to prepare Jeez, for oh, one man. day. You know, one day yeah. of service is three days of preparation. You know, today we're producing our dough that we're going to be using for, yeah, Saturday. So two full days would be 48 hours, and then by the time it actually goes into the oven, you're talking close to 60, a little over 60 total hours from the time that it was actually mixed to the time that it goes into the oven. Got a lot um, in there, man. And that's just one style of pizza. But, yeah, if, if for me it was educating my team on the entire process, you know, from start to finish and talking about the ingredients and why we source locally, you know, talking about us using a blend of mozzarella, you know, we use essentially three different mozzarellas just on one pizza. One of them's a house-made mozzarella, you know, and, and, and things like that, just being able to, it gives to you translate that too. information to our customers and, and raise that awareness for our customers so that they have an appreciation, or at least we hope that they develop an appreciation to understand oh, yeah. all that goes into it. And Lewis, it gives you a, a unique thing to your pizza. You just can't find anything like yeah. it. Whereas if, if anybody goes and tries to open up any restaurant, pizzeria, for example, and then they call Cisco and they get Cisco here and they say, let me see your mozzarellas. Let me see your pizza sauce. Yeah. They're going to see, you know, a handful of choices on here. Yeah. And they're probably going to come up with something that tastes like everyone else's pizza, right? Yeah. Does that happen a lot, I think? It, it does. I would it imagine. Um, and, you, and for me, like, how do I separate myself You from just explained others? it. Just I explained, mean, it's yeah. just doing those those little things, yeah. you know. And can, I, can we talk about my favorite pizza campaign I've ever seen? And yeah. when I tell you who did it, you're, you're not going to believe it, but I'll tell you it was one of the most unique things I've ever seen. Domino's Pizza. Do you know what I'm going to talk about already? Do you remember when Domino's a few years ago did a thing where they just said, we get it, our pizza has not been good? Yes. <laughs> you ever seen the show Pizza Wars? No, I haven't. National no. Geographic? You no, should but definitely how do we get you on out. there? What's happening? Why it's, are you not on there? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I feel like you would own that show. No, there's, there's one uh, by National Geographic, and it shows like the rise of like fast food chains in the United States and... Um, Pizza Hut and Domino's have an episode, and it's pretty interesting to watch that episode. Oh, I gotta watch that. That would be yeah, good. Definitely. I'd like to watch all those episodes, yeah. honestly. But, but they, I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. They literally did commercials at one point where they were talking about how they like admit that their pizza has sucked for years, and now they've changed things. Right? Yeah. And like, I was like, well, that's something. There's a couple times that happened too. Wells Fargo got in a bunch of trouble a few years ago. Yeah. This is obviously not food, but where they did a campaign where they're like, we have learned from our mistakes. <laughs> I, like, I always think that's funny. And then the third thing was, oh, shit, what was I going to say? Oh, some pizza place was also doing a thing just a couple years ago where they were selling. I thought it was a joke at first. Maybe it was a joke. Do you remember pizza insurance? Do you remember those commercials? Uh, they yeah, might yeah, have yeah, a pizza yeah. hut. Yeah. What? The, were people having that big of a problem getting their pizzas home safely? They were yeah. selling pizza insurance where if your pizza didn't make it home safely, you got, you got a free a, pizza. A free pizza. Yeah, was that, that was really bizarre. that big of an issue? I, I, I know. <laughs> I, and no, but sometimes it's, it's mind-boggling because sometimes <laughs> in some of the pizzerias that I worked at, you'd get a pizza hot, fresh out of the oven, put it in a box, cut it, 
and you'd see that customer take it away and walk it away like it was a purse and oh. all the ingredients are down on the side and that customer okay. they get home they think it's a pizzeria's fault yeah so that's where that whole piece comes so into that play does happen. it does happen yeah. or they stick it on their car and they drive away you know that yeah. sort of stuff does happen all right let me tell you something you're either gonna be proud of this or you're gonna be like <laughs> no Polly, don't do that i'm mad at you okay we bought a bunch of pizza from you ate it was amazing i put it in the fridge ate it again the next day cold still amazing are you mad at me or are you like, I'm proud of that? No, I'm proud of that. Okay. Because like for me, like uh, I, I, we're a takeout pizzeria. So yeah. we want the pizza to, we have to make sure that the pizza is excellent yeah. from the time that it goes into the box to the time that it's consumed by the customer, wherever they're going to be. Yeah. And for me, it was utilizing a specific type of pizza box, a specific type of liner for my pizza box to ensure that the pizza holds its integrity or maintains its integrity on the trip home. And a lot of feedback that I received from customers is that pizza was great three, four hours, or even the next day when I had it for breakfast, I heated it up and it was still incredible. Mm -hmm. Like that whole thing means the world to me because I'm, I, I achieved the goal that I wanted to, to achieve in the first place was make an excellent takeout pizza that maintained its integrity through the life. Because in all reality, a pizza box is a coffin for a pizza. It really is. From the time that it goes into that box, the quality of that pizza is going to continue to go down and go down and go down. And I'm trying to utilize a specific dough recipe, specific ingredients to ensure that that pizza is of high quality until the time it's yeah. consumed. Yeah. Pretty well, wild. What, I mean, it, it, the next day I ate it cold and I was like, I don't know if he'd like this. I didn't even send you a picture of it because I was like, <laughs> he, might, he might say, never, never, don't eat yeah. my pizza. But it was really good. It held up. Uh, okay. So it is the only a couple more minutes. I swear. Yeah, I know fine. you're busy, but, uh, it's new, right? It's yeah. new. It's a it's a brick and mortar. Now this is new. It's different than a pom pom. Yeah. What has been your biggest wake up call? The biggest thing that you're just like in this first month or so that you've been in business where you're just like, oh shit, I was wrong about X or Y or Z. I, I, really, it's like the financial piece, like yeah. how much money it actually takes to open up a business. It's and, constant. And it's just constant people oh, saying, yeah. oh, well, here's your invoice, here's exactly. your invoice. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's like one of those things where I, I set a budget and it just seemed like that budget <laughs> is completely out I love of the you, window. Bud. Me too. And it just, it was like hemorrhaging in a way, you yeah. know, hemorrhaging yeah. money. Yeah. Um, and for me, you know, and for, for many of the people who do know me, like I don't shortcut, you know, I don't, I don't, if I'm doing something, I'm going to do something big, and I'm over the top. My friends call me extra sometimes. My family yeah. calls me extra. Um, but, again, you know, I imported this vehicle from Europe. I imported my pizza oven from Europe. You know, I imported my mixer from Europe. You know, this whole remodel was, you know, and if I'm going to be opening a restaurant, I want it to be the way that I want it to be. You know, I don't want it to be something where I'm like, shit, I wish I did this or shit, I wish I did that. Yeah. If I'm forking out the amount of money that I'm forking out, it damn well be better yeah. as close to what I want it to be as possible yeah. so but yeah that was probably the biggest thing was was realizing how much money actually goes into um opening a brick and mortar you know and essentially I, starting can I tell scratch. you something I, I can I can empathize with that so hardcore that I want to tell you something that I have actually now that I think about it, I've literally told nobody this including my wife I'm gonna tell you Louis <laughs> Perez in your I'm honored because you might be able to relate to this or maybe not but after the, my first month in business, I went out to my car at one point and sat in my car because I felt like I was hemorrhaging money. And I was yeah. just like, what the fuck is happening? Exactly. What is happening? Yeah. I was just like, this is what I'm is... I'm sweating thinking about it. I'm just like, what is... This is... You know, I had a number. I had, this is what we're going to spend. It was X amount was going to be... Here's how we start our business. X amount of money. And we blew through that in a hurry. Oh, yeah. And I just went... Am I fucking this up? I might be fucking this up. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Right? Like it's got and and I just remember sitting in my car and just being like maybe you should just turn on the car and like drive to California. <laughs> yeah. No, I trust me. I I've had many instances like that where you're like, "Oh my god, this is yeah. far more money than you were expecting to, to yeah. fork out." But I mean, at the end of the day, like for me, uh, any business is going to take time to recoup, right. you know, the investment and, and build a following and build the excitement. There's not a lot um, of businesses you talk to people and they go, oh, yeah, from day one. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Everyone you talk to who's made it really successful will tell you, hey, man, first couple of years are tough. Yeah. 
you got to struggle through those and then yep. you and then you hit a stride and it, so it makes me feel better at least maybe now we're just doing therapy yeah. on me i'm sorry you don't need to hear that <laughs> but good, i i remember sitting in my car that one day and just being like what the fuck is yeah. happening i've i've had that same feeling yeah. um but you know it's like it's a roller coaster lots of highs and lows ag- across the way oh, you yeah. just got to continue to adapt yeah. and and face adversity daily unfortunately yeah daily um but yeah i mean i'm in i'm in no hurry i mean obviously i want to make my money and all that but i want to make sure the business is operating the right way no you're doing it ex- um, exactly investing back right. into it you know seeing areas of opportunity you know what i could spend a few bucks here to get you know x y and z um mm-hmm. and putting it back into the business as soon as it can be done um but yeah i mean our, our pizza is unique i mean it's 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 one of those type of pizzas where it's a hybrid it's not quite new york it's not quite wood-fired or neapolitan it's falls somewhere in between there and i hope that uniqueness of our pizza is able to to attract people from the community and, and appreciate what we're doing here because it really is a lot of work what we're doing just for the craft of pizza and, and I'm trying to break that perception that it's just dough sauce cheese tossed in the oven and pulled out it's far more than just that it yeah. really is okay so let's do a plug real quick before we wrap up yeah um, it's not a typical restaurant not a typical pizza place you can't just call here right now and order pizza and pick it up in yeah. 30 minutes right eventually we're we're gonna open up you know entertain walk up customers and phone in customers it's just like I said we're trying to ease into it um, get a handle on 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 the workflow and processes and you know we're still technically I mean I've had my employees like four to six weeks now and they're still you know training um, so the online ordering is what we're encouraging um, and hopefully at a later date we will introduce walk-in customers as well as phone-in customers um, but yeah that's probably the, the the best way to place an order is online via our website peelsonwheelspizza.com you place your order you select your 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 time your pickup time and come pick up at that time um, right now we are operating Wednesday through Saturday uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. for dinner service only. And then eventually when we're fully operational, we're hoping to be open either Wednesday through Saturday or Tuesday through Saturday, 12 to 8 p.m. We will introduce more menu items down the road. Um, again, I'd rather start small than open up, you know, full capacity, trying to take in an, mm-hmm. as much business as possible and offering as much of a menu as I can. Um, I think we're just going to take it slowly but surely into it. The, something that I've heard over and over from, from restaurant people is this idea of a tight menu yeah. when a restaurant starts. I think I've asked this a hundred times. I used to do this this show that was focused just on food um, for Wham 1180 in town. Yeah. And I would ask chefs all the time, how do you know, or not even chefs, really more like entrepreneurs, just restaurant owners. How do you know when a place is going to be successful? And you know that came up all the time. They would say, when I walk into a new restaurant and I see a a menu that's 18 pages long, I know this place is probably in trouble. But when you see that tight, here's here's these handful of things we do, and we do them perfectly. Yeah. That's when you know a place really has it right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great, man. That's that, and that's what I've learned too. You know, I I went to to you know school for food service management, and I traveled to Italy. You know, I, I. got certified in a specific style of pizza and pizza school and all in all a lot of those those learnings and experiences they all pretty boiled down pretty much boiled down to you know having a simplified menu keeping it as simple as possible Um, and not to mention like the actual production piece like you can only produce so much in a day without your ovens dropping in temp your equipment you know your mixer can only handle so much dough a day and not to mention your staff can only handle so much work a day um so that's that's one of those things like i want my staff to come in and not have to stress and have anxiety about how busy it's going to be you know i want them to be don't tell that to my staff yeah (laughs) i want them to be with it the entire time you know what i mean right right. same thing with like the pizza oven you know you you can only do x amount of pizzas per hour in the oven so like all in all like keeping it as simple as possible from the workflow to the menu um, and the ingredients. Okay, too. last question. No, not a problem. You, you were, if I remember right from last time we spoke, didn't you have, when you were a kid, weren't you kind of a badass? <laughs> I, I was a troublemaker. You were a little bit of a least. troublemaker? Yeah, I grew up in the Bronx and yeah. rough neighborhood. Yes. Um, went to a public school and I was constantly getting into fights and into trouble, screwing yeah. around with my friends. What did you think that kid was heading towards? I mean, can you believe you're sitting here? <laughs> no. No? No. And I'm so grateful because my parents, they moved from, from, you know, 
New York City to Western Central New York, Geneseo, New York. I mean, it was like night and day how, how different it was. I'd never seen a cow or deer in real life, and, <laughs> and let alone grass and trees. And to move from there to here or to Western or Central or Geneseo, New York, um, it's surreal because you think about what your life could have been if, you, if, if your parents had decided to just stay down there, you know? Um, and, and making that move, I think, opened up a tremendous amount of opportunity for my my family. You, you know, you my might not sister. be peels on wheels. Exactly, it's but crazy. It, it's funny reflecting back, and I think I had mentioned this story in in the first talk or the first podcast. And from a young age, I was obsessed with pizza, and and I pretty much conned my way into getting free pizza for me and my friends in school at a young age. And it's funny because, like, you know, when I first started this pizza business, my dad brought that story up, and he's like. This is what you need to be doing. How did you do that again? How did you? So I was constantly getting in trouble on purpose because they would they would send us to the office and we'd be in the guidance counselor's (laughs) office and every time we'd be in there, my friends would be able to skip out in class and hang out and they would buy us pizza, (laughs) you know, once or twice a week. So it turned into like, yeah, yeah, let's get in trouble so we can get free pizza. It's like a reward. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, in any event, my dad figured out you know what we were doing and he made me tell the the guidance counselor what I was doing. So. I was conning the guidance counselor for, for free pizza for me and my friends. So, yeah. and like I said, just reflecting back on my life, like all these different experiences in my life from work experience to having pizza in some way, shape or form. And then that story from me being in second or third grade, loving pizza at a young age. It's just, it's funny to reflect back on. Best of luck to you, man. You're, you're one of the best. I love, I love the fact that I know you, and, and congratulations on everything. I it appreciate was, it, man. It's always a pleasure hopping on yeah. and chatting with you. I know we don't get to talk often, but it's nice to sit down and catch up over time. You got it, man. I'll be ordering pizza. I'll be in here, and I'll, I'll try and shoot the shit with you like you got time for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. No, Thanks, not man. a problem.